welcome to another episode of the Aquatic Mentors podcast. I am your host, Katrina Van Eyck. And in this episode, I interview an industry professional who has had years of experience in sports administration and development. So please extend a massive and a big welcome to the podcast for Jason Helwig. Jason's achievements in the administration of sport began early in his career when he took on the role of Development Officer at Athletics Australia. He moved up the ranks and continued to have a massive impact on sport by taking on the role of Director of Sport at the Australian Paralympic Committee. In 2010, Jason became the Chief Executive Officer for the Australian Paralympic Committee, where he was responsible for leading the corporate and sporting strategy of the organisation to consistent and internationally competitive standards. After taking a year off to pursue private consulting, Jason moved into the role of CEO for Swimming Victoria in 2016. His work at Swimming Victoria is aimed at driving growth in the sport across Victoria. Jason believes strongly in being compelling in our proposition, excellent in our delivery and strong through our culture and values. In 2012, Jason attended the London Paralympic Games as Chief Demission for the Australian Paralympic team. Jason is a performance and values-driven leader with a compelling set of experiences including strategic sports business development, brand and public proposition growth, change and innovation in complex, competitive and fast-changing landscapes. He is highly focused on setting and achieving commercial outcomes with substantial corporate and government relationships. Through the five years he has been involved with Swimming Victoria, Jason has progressed and improved the services offered while empowering his staff and those involved in the industry. In today's episode, Jason shares his love for swimming and also some great insights as to why he finds our sport so amazing. I'm excited to bring you Jason's vision for swimming in Victoria and Australia and his thoughts on making the front door into the mansion of swimming bigger. You'll find out more in the podcast. Jason shares with me his experience during COVID and how these experiences will impact how Swimming Victoria works into the future past our COVID lockdown. So please share any inspirational insights you find in Jason's interview on our Facebook page, Aquatic Mentors, and you will find all his contact details listed at the end of our show notes. If you want to share your aquatic journey, please contact me via my email, regionalswimclinics at outlook.com. That's regionalswimclinics at outlook.com. And I'd love to be able to share your journey with my listeners. So let's jump in and find out more about Jason's journey in swimming and sport. So Jason, how did you start your journey in swimming? I was very lucky. It's kind of a bit more about how did I start my journey in sport. So I grew up in Darwin, in the Northern Territory. I remember I was really young, in year nine. I can take you to the spot where I just had this moment where I thought I want to be a sports administrator. So I kind of set course for it very early in life. So I did lots of volunteering. And anyway, so I ended up working in sport. My first gigs were in basketball and athletics, actually, in the NT. 
moved to Melbourne, I was lucky I got a job with Athletics Australia and that led, you know, I was a new kid on the block and back then disability sport was the bit that no one was interested in. So I got handed that and I thought this is a great opportunity. So we did that and I decided juniors, clubs and disability were my portfolios. So that led into some really interesting stuff and ended up working for the Australian Paralympic Committee. Sport and see, I, so I started, I worked across all the sports then, so I got to know swimming pretty well. And we were living in Sydney for five years and just had enough, just wanted to come home. We had two young kids. I remember I was in Rio, I'd been appointed chef to mission, and I just had this again, it's a moment where it's so I'm done. I just don't, I don't want to be here, I just don't think the game should be here, I don't want to be part of it, I'm cooked. So we did the TV deal for that and then came home to Melbourne. and. I did a bit of consulting and so on, and then this role came up. So it was great getting back into sport. You know, and I was familiar with a lot of the people in you know, swimming, obviously, through my previous role. And, but in saying that, you know, my knowledge of swimming was, you know, I had to be really honest. So like I'm, I know it at a certain level, but I don't know it at a deep level. So I really enjoyed that learning. It's been great. I kind of, Rowan Taylor describes it well. He says, you've become a lifer. So what do you mean you've been a life? I said, yeah, I get it. I understand it. You know, now I get it more. Still got a lot to learn, but I really enjoyed it. I love that. And there's so many great points in that. And yes, Rowan Taylor's is true. You become a lifer in swimming. It's You're either in it or you're not. I think my husband looks at me and goes, oh, I don't know why you're so addicted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it is a commitment sport. Yeah, yeah. And you've got to throw yourself in it. If you're going to do it, yeah. Whether it's learning to swim or coaching or being an actual swimmer, you've got to throw yourself in it to do yeah, it. Yeah, you do. It's, and that's both its great strength and its barrier to entry and continuation is that, right? And, but once you break through that, it's, it's got so much depth. It's got so much IP. And obviously what it delivers is extraordinary. So it's really yeah. fascinating. I love it. People in swimming are good people. Forty talks about this all the time, Brian Ford, you know, when country championships this year and he said you know he's been going to country championships for decades he says you know you never see kids blowing you never have bad behavior you know there's something about the skills and the disciplines and the perspectives that swimming infuses in people that's really great it's i think it's a lot of it is the dedication and Mm. if you want to succeed you have to try hard but you can also have fun with it too and mm. emphasising that fun, I think, as a coach, I find. Yeah, yeah, it's, got to, it's actually got to be based in fun. Everyone has to enjoy their involvement. If it's not enjoyable, then you've got trouble. So, yeah, and it is fun. That's the thing I've really... I probably did have that perspective coming in, you know, that it was a sport that was a bit grisly on people. And I think there's, there is a truth to that history of, of a lot of elite swimmers leaving the sport not feeling great about it. And I think that's part of our role now in leadership is to redesign the sport, slow it down a little bit, help the development of people more, reduce that opportunity cost that used to be placed on high-performance swimmers that you've had to develop this aspect of your skill set young and fast at the expense of a whole lot of other normal natural developments as a human being. Yeah. So we're getting better at not making that trade-off too big. So if you can really use that fun all the way through, you can't escape the hard work if you want to be really good at it. Mm. That's, that's just not something you can skirt around. <laughs> but if you're enjoying it while you're doing that, then that's 
it's great. It's perfection. Yeah, that's right. It makes it all worthwhile if you can put that enjoyment in. And especially for the elite level when you're just following that black line and you're doing laps after laps and Ks after Ks, you've got to get something out of it to be that determined to continue. Yeah, I think elite swimmers are a different, you know, they're just, they're different folk. <laughs> Slightly insane. No, I don't know. I think, look, you get this in every sport, you know, people who are really driven to get that absolute best out of themselves. And, and sometimes that's not about people who achieve the ultimate in performance, but their commitment to the sport is so deep and their commitment to extracting everything out of themselves as it relates to that skill and that competition. People who are, who are capable of pursuing it as a lifestyle for days, weeks, months and years and then decades, there's something remarkable about that. Yeah. And it's a, it's a fine difference. But it is different. <laughs> different cats. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. And I like how you said you came from, I suppose, the version of all sport and also the disability side. So... And I think that's fantastic. You can bring the values of other sports and how they work into swimming because I think we need to learn from all the different sports and all the people involved as well. So I like how you bring that element into the swimming. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's always healthy to have other perspectives. Mm. And my previous role really exposed me. It was, it was really invigorating being able to work very closely with you know, 15 different sports. And then you bring it up another layer and you see how that's done across every nation in the world as well. Yeah. And you're struck by a couple of things in that circumstance. One is just the commonalities, but equally the danger of really getting too far into your own echo chamber. That little, those portholes out and up to other places and other perspectives is very important. I think fortunately for swimming, and one of the things that really attracted me to coming and working in swimming was my observation from different roles previously was always one of being really impressed. You know, swimming seemed to have a set of ingredients that it was capable of mixing together more powerfully than lots of other sports. And one of those is just an absolute expectation of success just innately, without it being kind of emotionally ramped up, there is something about swimming, particularly in this country, where we do expect Australians to perform well on the national stage, be that at the Olympics, the Paralympics, any derivation, you know, of the sport, you know, and it's not just about those marquee events, it goes through to Deaf Olympics and Special O and lots of other places as well. There's a something about the Australian swimming system and the Australian swimming community where it does have in its DNA an understanding of what it takes to achieve success in that dimension of, of elite sport, high-performance sport. But the beauty of that is it creates fundamentally a real strength within the culture. It, it, it's a culture that knows where it will push and challenge and it has its stress points and its disputes and its disagreements but it also has a point at which it knows that this is the boundary, that if we cross it, we're going to stop that ability to be successful. And swimming of itself as a community is probably not aware of that strength, but it's really as observable, I think, as someone who's worked with it but from outside. And one of the things I was fascinated about coming into the organisation and into the sport 
was to really explore that and try and understand what is it about swimming that makes it, and it is different from other sports. There's no other sport in, in this country that comfortably embraces an expectation of success, you know, from grassroots all the way through to high performance and just never, never sways from it. It's just, it's constantly present and dealt with and achieved. And it's a very interesting thing. It's a, it's a, it's a really good thing. Yeah. Have you been able to understand it? Because I kind of see it, especially when it comes to the Olympics, that I suppose media and the nation, if they don't, if Australians don't do well in swimming at the Olympics, it's, oh, my God, Australia goes crazy. Um, yeah, it's, a bad, it's a bad second week for the Olympics if we don't go well in the first week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, coming from, I mean, my sister was elite in gymnastics when she was young. We were really into equestrian and all that sort of side. It always amazes me that they, there's so much pressure on the swimming and that we have to do so well in swimming. And we sort of look at it as that's where our medal's coming from. And any other ones are just an extra added bonus. But, you know, we have to get these medals in swimming and they're expected. Have you been able to understand it? And is that something that's maybe putting so much pressure on our swimmers? I don't think the pressures. So I think pressure's a healthy thing in high performance. You can't escape it. I don't, I don't think our swimmers are overburdened by pressure in that sense. As, as I said, I think what's remarkable about swimming is we carry that expectation very comfortably. Yeah. We, we, we don't carry it as a negative. We carry it as a source of pride and energy. You know, to kind of keep us going. I think swimming, and and again, you guys, you you know, you live in it, right? So you, you go, of course. Swimming respects the role of a coach at all levels, from learning to swim all the way through. The person who can infuse the skill of the activity in the participant, in the player, has an almost reverential role yeah, in the sport. And it's, it's incredibly respected. I, I think we can do a lot more to support it and nurture it. And, and the fact that I don't think we've necessarily always had a great system around that that the coaches themselves have had to develop the ability to really nurture themselves and, and create a strong coaching culture. And that has, majority of it's great, but it's got some deficits as well, right, that have been pretty well exposed and we've got to address and have addressed and we continue to address. So, so I think the cornerstone of it is a real appreciation for the central role that teachers and coaches play. Uh, and the other one is that there is respect for the journey of the swimmer. There's, a, there's an understanding that this is... This is their experience. It's not. It's not mine. It's not the technical officials. It's not the local club volunteer. It's not mum and dad. This magic is created by the swimmer and the coach being given the space and time to explore it, yeah, and achieve an outcome that they're both combined set for. And that can be club championship. It can be making a state time. It can be a state medal. It can be that. You know, the same process is just being done. You know, all, and that's what I love is, is so those ingredients exist and are consistent, whether you're dealing with the local swimming club or the Australian swimming team. Yeah. The exact same settings are in play. All that changes is the resources and some of the jiggery pokery around the, you know, videos, this and analysis for that. And you know, the, the dollar signs are a bit different, but <laughs> the principles are the same. And, uh, so it creates opportunities from that around collaboration. So 
when you accept those drivers, you go, right, well, what then really makes that work well? Then things like collaboration become really powerful. And we've changed that a lot. You know, Rowan Taylor's done an extraordinary job of creating a collaborative culture amongst coaches. And those things come and go depending upon leadership. But when we're at our best, there is a fierce rivalry and competitiveness that exists within the domestic setting, but it, it doesn't overwhelm the benefits that come from open collaboration and a, and a genuine caring for each other. Like, you know, the fact that coaches do look out for each other, generally speaking, coaches want to see other coaches succeed while at the same time wanting to do well themselves. So I think there's there's something quite unique about that in swimming, and it's really important that we do a better job of nurturing and supporting coach development at all levels of the sport and never take our eye off that. And then the other one is where I think we're doing well compared to the rest of the industry, the sport industry, but we've still got a lot to do is understanding that our job is to help the development of people in, in terms of our swimmers. We're not just developing a swimmer, but we're contributing significantly to the healthy development of a human being. Yeah. And I think this is where the biggest change is taking place. So if you go back and you read the stories of Shane Gould, even Hayley Lewis, you know, which you and I can both remember very vividly because we're, you know, we're old folk. Um, but, you know, these were young people who were thrust into a very pressurised environment at a young age. Yeah. And perhaps on reflection, you know, they acknowledge they got a lot out of it, but they paid a big price. Yeah. And I think what swimming's done really well is, is actually front up to that. We've got to stop hurting people in the development of high performers. Yeah. We've got to be more caring in how we develop people. And if we do that, we'll develop more high performers. Yeah. Precocious talent always finds a way. And it, like, Thorpey would have been a Thorpey regardless of the system. And he would have been as good as he was at such a young age. But it's about those really great athletes who aren't uniquely precocious. Mm. You know, you've got to create a bigger environment for them to develop in and enjoy and be nurtured by. And if those settings of challenge, support, nurturing are then allowed to cascade all the way down, so we rid ourselves of that old-fashioned thing of a coach just yelling at swimmers on the side of the pool from dawn till dusk. Then that sets a sail for the next, the next generations plus. And swimming has an amazing ability to do that. It's so, at most other sports just the internecine warfare that goes on in trying to <laughs> change is breathtaking. Whereas swimming respects the role of the coach, respects the journey of the swimmer respects the tension that sits within that, respects the fact that, yeah, we do deal with difficult parents sometimes and we've got to try and educate them and, you know, get them to relax and understand that it's not their game. You know, it's the kid's game. Yeah. But we don't let any of that kind of get in the way of going forward and doing it properly. Hmm. Very, very interesting organisation. Yeah, it definitely is. And I'm... <laughs> Because we do actually pick up and we are focusing on, you know, whether it be how to deal for coaches with, you know, mental health. That's something you as swimmers have and Josh have been working on a lot is the mental health, especially yeah. in COVID times and how we can help that. But it's also about working with the parent, knowing that you have those difficult parents and how to deal with that sort of sideline image. Um, mm. 
also making the swimmers better. I mean, we've seen um, reports of the swimmers that are coming out and they've got low qualifications and now it's been a big thing to sort of really help them develop the whole person, which I really quite like because, yeah, elite sport's not for life. And to be able to develop that whole person starting from grassroots all the way up, I mean, every coach, every swim teacher has a role and a very important role to play in these kids' lives to making them a better person when they become adults and then hopefully generating their interest to be able to put it back into the sport. Absolutely right. And I think understanding something that's really important is swimmers only get one chance at a career. Yeah. You know, and that, that career might only ever happen at club level, right? They're competitive. It might happen for 30 years, right? But their competitive journey happens only once for that person. Yeah. So those of us who are privileged to be in a position to be able to serve through whatever leadership skills we can bring to the table and, and other attributes, have got to understand that. And we've got to do everything we can to help that person have the best experience that they possibly can. And it's up to them where they go and how they, how far or you know where they settle. But if everyone embraces that role of saying everyone gets one crack, what can I do to help that person have the best experience possible, then the sport's going to be pretty good. And I think by and large, people in swimming, whether it's articulated or not, kind of naturally have developed those attributes and those behaviours. And I think, you know, to your first question about what is it, I think they're the sorts of things that are it. But it's important we also talk about it. And don't yeah. take it for granted because these are very easily lost in in the rush for the next cycle's gold medalists. You know, it's very easy for a couple of corporate suits to come in, sit on a board, adopt a sort of private equity mindset to things, look at swimmers and coaches as assets only while they offer value in, you know, towards winning a medal or achieving some funding out. That's a really dangerous way of looking at it, you know. Mm. We've existed for over 125 years for the purposes of supporting people to play the sport. We'd better keep doing that. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the wisdom, we can't just, you know, a coach finishes coaching and that's not the end of their life in swimming. I and, mean, you know, the wisdom they have, how much can they give back to the sport afterwards and how can we help them do that? And I really like what you just said because there's been something I've been mulling over for a while um, and you've just, yeah, really emphasised the point that I need to um, get off my butt and actually do something about it. <laughs> so, so the IP that's, that is within swimming, right? And, you know, and I think, the, I think another element to why it works is it's a bloody difficult skill to acquire. Yeah. I learned to swim in Darwin, which is probably more technically framed as learning not to drown, right? So, <laughs> but I, I didn't do squad swimming and so on. And the reason I didn't do it was I would be at the pool and some of my mates were doing squad swimming and the coach was just yelling at them, right? That was the way swimming was done. And they were cool with it, but I was a pretty anxious kid and that did not appeal to me at all. And so that's changed profoundly. But within that though, what I respect is the people who teach people to swim are giving them a skill set that is hard earned. It is not an easy thing to get proficient at. Yeah. People who are naturally proficient at it are very fortunate. I envy them right there's 
I'm so envious of people who are natural swimmers. It's such a such a beautiful skill to have and to watch. But I think there is enormous value in the challenge of acquiring the skill of swimming and the IP that's possessed by teachers and coaches who pass that on to somebody is unbelievable. You know, if this was in a medical setting or a corporate setting or a scientific setting, it would be valued in such a different way. I think we just assume that it's like, you know, the dad down at Auskick taking a skill set, doing the handball drill. Yeah. Just not. It's yeah. it's so much more, so much more involved than that. And that's good and bad. It's great because you guys, I think, are extraordinary in your knowledge and what you bring and how you share that and, and inject that into somebody. The challenge that means that it's hard because unlike footy, you can't just grab a mum or a dad off the sideline and say, can you run this deal for me? Mm. You know, I don't have that there. But the IP, the, the core and technical knowledge that's possessed by so many people in this sport is, I think, a, there's so much more of it than other sports. Unashamedly, I say that. And I can hear the people in basketball having a crack and all this stuff. Yeah, not <laughs> I'll, I'll take a room full of swimming teachers and coaches, knowledge, over a room full of basketball teachers and coaches knowledge any day of the week. Let's see who's, let's really, let's let's lay it all out and see who get the biggest pile of data. I know who That's I'm right, there. so on now, you've got to play that out. I'm going to have hate mail coming in there. <laughs> That's okay, it's just a fact. <laughs> I do like it though, I do like it. Yeah. Yeah. Coaches in the sport, are, they have to know a lot of stuff. And it is yeah. technical. And it's not easy. And you've got to be able to pass it on to kids who learn in so many different ways. And that's the thing. I mean, for me, I love that side of it, how people learn and how kids learn in different ways. And you just hit the nail on the head. We have to be able to pass that knowledge on, but make the experience for the child in a way that they can understand and enjoy it. Something I wanted to focus on was helping swim teachers and coaches really connect with their kids in another level with you know, how they learn, how those kids learn and how they can adapt drills and things so that these kids are actually picking everything up, not just mm. getting part of the story and having to guess the rest. They're actually really connecting with that swim coach and teacher. And especially when it becomes to club levels and competitive levels, because a lot of the time the kids sees the coach more than they see their own parents. Yeah, that's um, right. We have to develop them into a proper human being. And also, I was listening to a conference not long ago and they had things like the love languages of kids and how kids understand love and how that connects them. Now, not going into a, the creepy atmosphere of it, but, I mean, you know, a, a significant person in a swimmer's life is their coach or their swim teacher. Absolutely. We can help the parents generate a, a beautiful child and give them that whole background by just showing them a little bit of love and a little bit of connection in that lesson and in that coaching time mm. understanding that we can make such a difference and we can help those parents and we can turn it the other way instead of parents having to help us we can help them that's spot on and you keep answering the question right around why is swimming so unique and it's because of the things you've just described as well and like you made the point earlier around you know high performance doesn't last long and you're right but everything you've just described, those skills, those disciplines, those ingredients, those experiences, they do last a lifetime. 
And that's the opportunity that we have through the fact that the sport is hard. In, you know, compared to lots of others, you know, hard is a difficult word sometimes for people to interpret, challenging or whatever you want to use. But it's not, this is not an easy skill to execute in a squatting. You know, anyone who's involved in competitive swimming is doing something that is difficult to acquire and difficult to maintain and difficult to perform. And that's a good thing because life is full of difficult things that have great results and benefits yep. at the end of it. It's not bad, right? Okay. Difficult is not equal bad. So if you guys can create a good environment for someone and a good set of skills and disciplines and experiences and memories, that's just going to help them. Yes. That's, that's why you work in sport. I just think sport's a powerful helper. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's why we're here. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so it's a fascinating. Uh, I just, I am, I find swimming endlessly intriguing. And one of the reasons I find it intriguing is the people within it just take everything in their stride and they just assume that the strengths and those attributes that we've just spent a while discussing, they're not every day in other sports. They're not abundant in other places. They are there. I'm not suggesting they're not. You know, sports are great. Every sport has a great space setting. But swimming has some exceptional settings that are a really common feature of it. Yeah. Um, and well may that continue. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I like that because it is common. Like for me, uh, especially coming into it and becoming president of our local country summer only swim club, mm. walked into it and I'm thinking, oh, they've got all these issues and these things they keep commenting on and the club, the committee's been there for a while and Oh, you know, they go on how unique and we've got this and no one else has got that. But, you know, doing this podcast and getting my coaching license and connecting with other coaches, I've really realised that, yes, the actual situation is not unique. Um, everyone else has it, but it's the way you, I suppose, you see it. I mean, every situation comes across different, but the underlining meaning and the underlining part of it is normally is the same in most clubs. Absolutely. Rowan Taylor taught me something very important and I'll be forever grateful because it's helped me understand this sport that I'm privileged to work in and help and serve. He said, swimming is just a big swimming club. The same thing that happens at Swimming Victoria happens in your little summer-only swimming club. They happen at Swimming Australia, they happen in the high-performance environment. Swimming is just a, is a scaled up and down version of a swimming club. The same things happen and the same forces are in play and the same challenges and the same opportunities and, the, you know, it's the same dynamic. Yeah. Um, a wonderfully simple way of understanding it. And it, it is. Kind of, and it, I think the reason I like it is it gives the sport confidence not to think, oh, we've got to bring in people from everywhere else to tell us what to do. Yeah. We've got to give ourselves the confidence to get people in who can help us bring the best out of ourselves. Yeah, and it is. It's about looking at sort of getting to know yourself, what your weaknesses are, and bringing in those people that have got those as strengths, your weaknesses, their strength. Hmm. You can build that team environment around you. And, you know, as Hayden Belshaw said in his podcast interview, it becomes... They're not sort of, you know, you bring some an assistant coach in that's got a strength that is your weakness. They're not your assistant coach. They become on a par with you. And, you know, you can say to your swimmers, okay, we're going to work with 
whoever it is, because, you know, they've got that skill. They can have their moment in the sunshine and show what they're great at, develop that swimmer, and then you bring your skills on board as well. And you become a team, which then impacts so much on that swimmer. From both of you, not just from one person, and missing out on you know parts of that. Spot on. It's fun. It's yeah. fun when you do it like that, like isn't yeah. it? Like it's actually fun. Yeah, I love when it. You, when you're holding your own little IP close to your chest and you're constantly looking over your glasses at everyone else as a threat, I don't know where the joy is in that. No. no <laughs> when you do what no. you've just described, that just sounds like fun. Yeah. I mean, you're impacting the other coaches' life. You're making them feel important. You're impacting the swimmers, the teammates around, and you're mentoring people. And that's what I love about it so much is an opportunity to mentor and to make everyone a better person just happens so often. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. It's, uh, it's remarkable. Yeah. Go the coaches. So, Jason, what was the biggest lesson you've learned in your swimming and sports journey? You've tapped on a lot there. Is there one biggest lesson or is there a few different lessons that stood out? I think for me it's absolutely understanding that it's not about us. Our job is to create the environment in which other people can achieve what they want to achieve. Got to, you've got to turn up every day really focused on creating the best possible opportunities for people to have the best possible experience. Yeah. And I think that's the job of a sports administrator. And there's lots of things that we have to attend to and we have to run the business in a very disciplined and diligent way. That's all there. But it sits under the headline of what are we doing to help people have the best possible experience in this sport? And if you can get that in your head and make all of your decisions and behaviours aligned to that, then not only will you enjoy it, but, you know, you're giving yourself the chance of creating an environment that people go, wow, this is, this is something that's really, really good to be part of. Yeah, and I think that's it. You're not going in it for you. You're in it for everyone else, which then impacts you and makes you a better person. But... I think also, and I know there's bits of it and in other sports, but I think I find a lot with swimming and swimming coaches is there's no, you know, when they do get an accolade, they're not there looking for the accolade or for that award. And when they do get it, they sort of not half dismiss it, but they sort of think, oh, you know, do I actually deserve it? What have I done? I've, they do it for the right reasons and they're not there for the awards and, you know, getting the knowledge and being put out, their name put out there in lights. Mm, absolutely right. You know, when you're fortunate enough to have this as your profession, which is, you know, it's a pretty lucky gig to have, you know, you've got to be really earnest about creating that environment for other people's success. If you're not doing that, then I don't think you're a sports administrator. I think you're an imposter. Good point. I like that. Mm. Yeah. No, look, there are there are too many imposters in the profession. Mm. You know, I think too many people get into sports administration because they, they're attracted to some sort of ill-conceived idea of glamour. Or It's not a glamorous gig, but it's a really, really enjoyable, enriching gig. 
Yeah. But it's not about you. Hmm. It's it's you helping other people, and you have to create the circumstance that allows people to do well. So yes, strategy and values absolutely central to that. But you can't just say it. You got to do it every day. That's the other thing that drives me nuts. Everyone talks about values. You know, we have lists of values, just words on paper. Yeah. I'm so interested in organisations' behaviour every day. Like, what's what's your regular Tuesday night culture? Right. That's that's when you get to the truth of what's going on in your yeah. in your in your in your sport. The words are whatever they are, but the behaviours and the consistency of that, and the ability to actually then make decisions that sometimes annoy people because you're not jumping at some fast, short-lived, high-profile opportunity. You're actually more interested in doing deeper work. Mm. That's what really matters. So go and check out your every Tuesday night culture in your local swimming club. And then that gives you a real sense of what the proper real values are. And if, if a regular Tuesday night's not going so good, then you've got some work to do. <laughs> I like that. And I think to me that's a big thing because people always say to me, I swim such a individual sport and I have parents that, you know, their kids, they'll play one brother off against another or, you know, oh, oh, my kid's not as good as your kid or my kid, oh, look, my kid's actually beaten your time. And I think, well, no, it's not an individual sport. It is in regards to that they're going for their own PBs and they're going, you know, they're swimming in the pool themselves. But you can make it such a team sport too by having that culture and it's what you do after training and it's how you involve, I think, you know, the team and getting everyone together. And I think that's something COVID's really brought out is, you know, how can you connect? It's all well and good connecting with your swimmer in the water and getting them to do the Ks and the lessons, but how can you bring that culture into your business and into the club that you're now actually having to connect with them online and, you know, running games or, you know, doing jobs. Yeah keep it interesting yeah and it's you're spot on Katrina and I think the other interesting thing about that is you actually learn more about the individual because they all we're again we're not homogenous so even in what we've had to deliver online we've got to respect that some people have got to bent more to this subject matter than that subject matter or this way of an online thing being delivered to that and that's all good it's it's actually funnily enough we've kind of probably had to learn more about our individuals yeah. through working in an online environment where we have to treat everyone kind of in a similar way. Then we learn about our individuals that we work with in a real-world setting. It's been quite... I know I found that with the SV team. It's been of love the last six months getting to know everyone more and in a different context, right? It's been stressful. Yeah. It's been challenging. There's been a lot of unknowns. There's been a lot of uncertainty. There's been a lot of fear. Um, so, all right. How does that play out with you as a human being? You know, how are you feeling about this? Tell me about it. What can we do to help you? How, how can you help us? It's been really intriguing, really healthy. Mm. And everyone's done an exceptional job. They've been amazing. But I know everybody a lot more. <laughs> They're probably thinking, God, we know you a lot more too. And this here. But, you know, can you, can you stop ringing me? Can you get off my Zoom? <laughs> you know, <laughs> wine for five minutes, would you? <laughs> <laughs> I remember reading that article online and it's especially from the first lockdown it was interesting for people to actually find out what their boss's home looked like because <laughs> <it's>... <laughs> yeah. and the kids in the background or the pets that you had and you know things like that. 
actually thought yeah. that was quite funny. You get to know them a bit more because of it. It is, and it's and it's also a leadership challenge as well because, like, I, you've seen here, my son walking behind me, and they're literally on with our kitchen table on my tablet, and my working setup for the last six months. Then I sit here, and Thomas sits next to me. <laughs> it's not a particularly sophisticated rig, <laughs> but it's worked, and I'm very comfortable with that, right? But the other thing we've got to be mindful of is some people really value the distinction between work life and home life. Mm. And they've not been able to enjoy that as much because all of a sudden work life and home life are sandwiched on top of each other. So it's thrown up some other challenges for us to understand and respect as well. And it's a very interesting time. And I think the learning, described it to someone the day, people go, oh, we've talked about transformation and disruption and blah, blah, blah. So no, look, I, I think we've actually, oh, for me, it's just given us the opportunity for a bit of rapid evolution. Yeah, yeah. Right? Stuff that would have taken us five years to embrace, like doing this, right, is now an everyday thing. Right? Yeah. We're all, we've all realised we don't need to be in the office all at the same time battling peak hour traffic. If six months ago we'd said, hey, guys, none of you are going to have to deal with peak hour traffic ever again, it would have been too radical. <laughs> Couldn't have you know? coped. <laughs> yeah, it would have been too radical. What, what's that? Stop being so ridiculous. You know, whereas that's the conversation we're having with our guys now about when we go back. I said, does anyone need to be in peak hour traffic to do their job well? No. I said, all right. So on average, how much time do people spend in traffic coming to and from the office? Well, it's 60 minutes plus or minus 20 minutes for everybody. So you times that by two times five, you know, you're looking at 10 hours a week that straight away you can give back to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well, why didn't we think of that beforehand? Yeah. <laughs> it always makes me think, like, living out here in the country, like for me it's three hours to travel from my house into Melbourne. Yeah. And my cousin lives out the sort of Phillip Island side. Yeah, yeah. Melbourne, she had, when she was working for kids, she had to go across to the other side of Melbourne and it would take her three hours yeah, yeah. to travel across. And I think, you know, you've just gone to the other side of Melbourne. Yes, Melbourne's pretty big, but, you know, normally that might take you an hour. Well, I can travel from, you know, the middle of bloody whoop whoop into Melbourne. Mm. It takes you to get across to do a job. Yeah. So, uh, but I think it's made us, us as an organisation better as well. So our council meetings, so we do that four times a year with every district, they've been absolutely set in stone as, you know, you attend in person, which for the guys up in Mildura, Sunraysia, that's not a, that's not an Unrealistic. easy. And, and for everybody, right, outside of Metro Melbourne, that's a, that's a commitment. Because we've been doing the council meetings online since this thing started. Now, Participation's gone up. Yeah. And because participation's gone up, we're getting more value out of it because we're hearing the voices yeah. of everyone in the sport. We're able to share information more readily because we've got more people there. And it's made that particular setting, that aspect of our organisation, I think, significantly better. If we hadn't had COVID and we'd said we only want to do council as an online meeting, no way people would have agreed to it. Even people from country would have said, oh, no, it's important we come to Melbourne because the the, intera the human interaction is really valuable. And it is. Right? There is a, there's a hybrid here that's going to be the perfect mix ultimately. But isn't it interesting what we've been able to do to make things better 
because it's been forced upon us. We haven't been able to make the choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. We're, our, we're our own worst enemy. As <laughs> humans, as human beings. <laughs> <laughs> we do it to ourselves. So what has been your biggest highlight for your sporting and swimming journey so far? Biggest highlights? I don't know. I, I just really enjoy... It's just things that have happened that have, you just go, that was great. I, we won a gold medal in London in a sport called wheelchair rugby, which is a great sport. And I was really chuffed about that because of, for the coach, a guy by the name of Brad Dooley, who only a few years earlier was probably the best player in the world. Our team wasn't going great internationally. So I sat down with Brad and said, mate, we need a coach. And this guy had all the attributes of a coach. He just wasn't a coach. You know, he was still the best player in the world. And we put it to him that he should stop playing and coach the Australian team. Like, it was just a complete Hail Mary pass, right? Like, we, we, were, we were just out of options. And so we did it. And he embraced it. And we bought him one of a really teeny tiny little salary. And they went on to win a gold medal at the next Paralympic Games. Yeah. And I just, just the journey for that, for Brad as a coach and for some of the players in that team. That was just really wonderful, you know, like to see that happen to somebody and yeah. create an opportunity out of nothing that goes and changes lives. It was awesome. A really, really special thing that I really loved. And, and I, the other thing for me, I just get a kick out of it, our guys. Like, Got some of our team at SV and just their growth and development blows me away. Like, they're awesome. Like, the work that Ash is doing now leading our events part. Jen Blackman, who was a volunteer a few years ago, like, you know, volunteering for us. And now she works for us and she's led our officials area, but we've put this plan ahead team together to help us navigate COVID, but more about realising the opportunities on the other side. And she's just done the most extraordinary job of it. And she's kind of leading that work. And just watching that, you know, kind of just helping, you know, creating that environment and that opportunity. But you just are amazed. I'm constantly amazed at how much talent people possess. <laughs> like, they've blown me away. And um, so I just love it. I love it when people, yeah. you know, when they achieve things. It's they're an athlete or an official or a volunteer or a staff member. It's little things like that for me that really I get huge enjoyment and satisfaction out of it. That's a sign of a good leader. Oh, it's awesome, mate. It's uh, they're just things. And I've loved working with Rowan the last couple of years. You know, I really value the relationship that we've formed. He's taught me a lot. And I'd like to think I've taught him a little bit here and there as well. And we talk, we still talk most days. And every one of those conversations I find precious. Yeah. Uh, because there's something in it that I go, I've come out of that knowing more about something, me, life, whatever. Yeah, what a privilege to be able to have that, you know, and then to see him now get the gig nationally and he's going to do such a great job, you know. Yeah. I love, you know, I love the fact we've got coaches from all over the state that are putting swimmers into national championships. Instead of this really small number, we've got, Bunches of coaches, and they're not just in Melbourne, they're from all over the joint now, who are finding this way to give kids an opportunity to swim at a speed 
he gets into a national championship. Yeah. That wasn't happening a while ago. No. Yeah. No, I haven't done anything. I'm not. I haven't coached a single set. <laughs> There's not a single swimmer that I've, I've coached or anything, and I haven't. I haven't delivered any coach education sessions. But we've seemed to have created an environment that's producing those opportunities and those experiences. And what Kirsty and Josh and Rowan people are doing to create that. Yeah. Awesome. I'd sit and watch that all day. Great. <laughs> I really like that. And it's so genuine too. I mean, um, we're doing this over Zoom. I can see in your face, but also in your words, it's, you genuinely mean that. And I really love that because it is the sign of a good leader. But I think also your statement saying that there is so many coaches and it's not just Metro that are bringing in leaders and the champions in the sport because when I sort of first came into swimming and I've been lucky enough to have Joe Love as my mentor, mm. I remember saying to her, you know, oh, country, tell me, you know, who's done well in the country? Countries are always so limited and I want to be able to give country the opportunity as Metro and it's always something I've had that, you know, country's limited. But as you just said, I mean, there's coaches everywhere. And yes, we all have our limitations, but it's how we look at those and actually we change those and make solutions out of it. And, yeah. and that was something Joe said to me. She goes, oh, I know a lot of country kids that, you know, to become elite, yes, they've had to move into the city, but they've done so much in their country club. And it's sort of really focus to me that we have to look on those opportunities and not just you know look at the limitations and look at that country's not getting as much as metro and we need to change that thinking and you know what can we do as country what do we bring to the sport and our swimmers you know the best meet we run in a year is the country long course champs <laughs> like without a shadow of a doubt it is the best swimming meet i go to i would love everyone from metro to go to a country long course championships. Yeah. At least once. Yeah. Because I, I I actually feel guilty that they're missing out on seeing it and experiencing it. Wow. And again, it's that thing about what swimming takes for granted. I think people in country Victoria take country swimming championships, long course and short course, for granted. They are so exceptional. And I think it's a bit of a loss that our metro folk don't get to experience that. Yeah. Everyone talks about it, right? So it's kind of, it does go, it, it typically I think country people, and I grew up in Darwin, so kind of I get it, is you've got to find a different way, right? It's it's more, you've got to go and seek it. It doesn't just land. You've got to go and find it and chase it. And it'll, it doesn't mean you can't get there. The people that Wagga has produced for Australian cricket, Australian football, you know, all sorts of sports out of this teeny tiny town. Unbelievable. I think Wagga's produced more national athletes than most capital cities. Like, it's unbelievable what comes out of the bush. And the same thing applies in swimming. And so I think, so long as you've got water, one thing swimming does need is water. A bit tough at the moment. <laughs> yeah. you, you can't get good at swimming unless you can dive in somewhere. But there's no reason for country swimming not to be successful to the very pointy end of the sport. None whatsoever. It's... If people want to make that choice, if they've got that drive and they want to pursue that, it can happen. We've proven it, you know, Ashtalani and plenty of examples of it. So, you know, if I, I kind of take my own experience. I reckon if I hadn't been born in Darwin, I don't think I would have had the career I've had. 
like being a Gordon Bale and you're coming through the Infinity Sports system, got the exposure at a national level that no one of my equivalents in a big state was ever going to get. Yeah. And then, you know, I worked hard and I was fortunate and it went from there. But I reflect all the time how grateful I am to have grown up in Darwin and have been able to get a start there. Best, best advantage you ever get is coming from a small place. <laughs> yeah. You just see things differently, I find. And I suppose it expands your awareness and having to put up with so many more people. I mean, I know with my swim teaching and my coaching, I know all the parents of the kids. So to, you know, look at it of being able to run a business and say to, you know, one of my good friends, okay, no, you know, you're pushing your kid too much or, oh, you haven't paid your swimming bill, but, you know, let's go out and have a drink or let's do something. You have to be so much more realistic and the resilience of a country person, I think, is just absolutely amazing as well. Yeah, and problem solving, creativity, problem solving. All these things that have suddenly become very zeitgeist, you know, around leadership and success, you're just taken for granted in the country. Of course, that's what you do. It just didn't have these fancy titles. It's just the way, <laughs> just the way we roll, you know. It's <laughs> how you get stuff done out here. It doesn't work any other way. Yeah, that's it, yep. You've got to do it yourself or it doesn't happen. Yeah, and you've got to bring people with you. If you want to just if you want to just be completely individualistic about things, then you can and that you can be succeed you can be successful, but it's hard. And I think growing up in a smaller community you learn the value of everyone's contribution yeah. and how to get the most out of it and how you can contribute in return. Yeah. And that's the perfect lead into my next question of you know, you've spoken with about Rowan and how much Rowan Taylor has helped you in your journey and also your work colleagues, those amazing people that work with you at Swim Victoria and just people in general. But has there been anyone else that's played a, a massive role in your swimming and sporting journey? Uh, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm very lucky. I've got a family that's always been great. You know, they understand my ridiculous obsession with sport. Because it is, you know, it is quite ludicrous. Uh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so Karen's just awesome. Uh, my former chair when I was at the Paralympic Committee, a guy called Greg Hartung, is one of the most brilliant people. So Greg was the first chief executive of the Australian Sports Commission and went on to not only chair the Paralympic Committee, but was vice chair of the International Paralympic Committee. A lone wolf in many respects. Now, Greg lives in Canberra, has his office there. A beautiful, independent mind when I talk about being a lone wolf. You know, like he's, uh, he loves sport, understands what's there, understands why Australian sport operates. No one's got the knowledge of the history of Australian sport in its settings around the Sports Commission, the AAS and policy like Greg possesses. And so working for him for a long time was very challenging because he just wouldn't let you off the hook. You had to really be up to scratch with your thinking and your performance. But just teaches you things you don't ever learn, you otherwise learn. You know, just that ability to be sceptical in a healthy way. You know, the confidence to, to deal direct, as he says. You know, don't rely on other people. If you're trying to get government to change its setting, you've, you've got to go and engage with government. Don't rely on other people to do it for you. If you want 
you know, if you want people to think and act and behave a certain way, then you've got to go and you've got to go and make that happen. And a, a, a ferociousness around wanting to to win, like comfort in saying that the pursuit of excellence is healthy. Don't. And I think sometimes, you know, this whole thing about wanting to develop people, right, and create a healthy environment that we nurture young people through. Sometimes we lose. We kind of get confused between that and not celebrating excellence and winning, right? There, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. You know, competition and competitiveness and the pursuit of excellence is a profoundly positive and healthy thing when it's done in a positive and healthy way. And when you also understand that all of us then have to accept that we lose most of the time. So losing's not bad. Losing's just learning with a different spelling. Yeah, uh, I like that. But chase it. Like, don't be afraid to want to win. You know, be energetic and earnest and disciplined and consistent in how you pursue it. And Greg just wouldn't let you off the hook in that. Like he was, he was an incredibly demanding chair. You know, one to two hours sometimes a day on the phone of wanting to really really interrogate an idea or, a, or just whatever was going on. And we dealt with some amazingly complex stuff domestically and internationally. But dealing with frustration, he'd drive you nuts as well. And he and I are great friends to this day. You know, we have a, I value our relationship enormously. And we've reflected on how at times we've driven each other bananas over the years. Me driving him nuts because I wasn't getting it. You know, I was... I wasn't hard enough around something or, you know, I just wasn't there. I wasn't ready. And me going, um, mate, you wouldn't leave me on. I, <laughs> I, I did actually have to run the business. I did have, I did need to, to deal with that audit and risk matter. I did need to deal with those other phone calls. I did have, and your consistent one to two hours a day on the phone demanding my exclusive and sole attention on these. Now, I'm not suggesting that's a great way for a chairman to, to kind of necessarily <laughs> all, all the time, but. You know, we worked closely together for over a decade. And I just, I learned so much. Yeah. And learned so much about stuff that I will never do as a leader, right? Like I'm, the things that Greg put me through and the way he led that I'm not, I wouldn't do. But I'm different, right? Yeah. So accepting that you're different and embracing it. And I think I was just so lucky to have a chairman who was so fierce in there vision in their in their commitment in their historical understanding of why we were there and and i think that's something else greg's infusing me is a deep deep respect for the history and the backstory mm-hmm. you know of, of why places exist and why things have happened the way they have and you know we started a history project for our organization back then and it's gone on and i don't think we do enough to you know, sometimes we see the people who've gone before us as a bit of a pain in the ass, because sometimes they can be. But we also need to take the time to understand what did they do, because it's on their shoulders that we've got the opportunity to work with. So that sense of history and respect for it, and I think that's again unique to sport, right? Sport has a history. It's not like, you know, with all due respect, the history of chairman and chief executives and, and strategic decisions of AMP doesn't hold much water. But the story of the history of Australian swimming 
and the chairs and the chief executives and the coaches and the swimmers and the technical officials. That's got important currency mm. for us because there's nothing that we're doing that they haven't created the opportunity for us to do. Yeah. And you've got to be able to understand, to move forward, you've got to understand the history behind it and why these things were done, why they were into place, but also what they were trying to achieve because they're probably trying to achieve the same thing as you were, but each person's interpretation was put onto it. You know, whether it be the generation, the way the world was, you've got to understand that backstory to be able to step forward and to know your community. Yep. Yep. And also understand that it doesn't need to be a reverential understanding of that history. It can be a critical understanding of that history as well. So some of the behaviours that characterised Australian sport, uh, and some of it at the extreme ends come out through, you know, the Royal Commission, you know, the abuse of children in, in sport settings is abhorrent. And it's an absolutely honest part of the history of sport and other institutions in this country and around the world. And it needs to be understood so that it can be never repeated yeah. and, and rectified here and now. And I think some of those behaviours of coaches that we've spoken about, you know, a climate of openness, transparency, collaboration, you know, care for the development of a human being, arguably they're a direct response to some of that truth being revealed and flushed out and exposed for the horror that it is. And we need to make sure that we are responsible for the settings and to the greatest extent possible, ensure it never happens again. And not a single kid is, is in any way hurt by a coach or anyone. That's a social role that we have to play. So there is a, there is a very positive part of understanding the history, but there's also the truth of some of the bad stuff, whether it's at that end of the spectrum or just simple things of bullying. We had to address some stuff in our technical officiating culture when I started around. Bullying is a very uncomfortable word for people, but there was a bit of that happening, you know, historically amongst and within that, that cohort of this sport. People wouldn't have necessarily thought of it as being that, but that's what was and had happened. And we addressed it. And the, our technical officials now, majority of them are the same people. You know, they are awesome and their behaviours are exemplary, but we had to challenge the way things had been done in the past. And that was a really uncomfortable thing to do and people got very cranky about it. That's okay. That's why we're here. But if we hadn't been prepared to really dive in and explore what had been happening and why these sorts of behaviours were being evidenced, what, what's contributed to that? And all of a sudden you, you, hear, you, you may feel comfortable telling their story and their journey and you realise this has been going on for decades. They're just characteristics here that are a hand control, closed off community that, that was subjective in how and, and whom it let through the gate, right, of welcome or the gate of promotion. Yeah, okay, so that's been going on for a long time. All right, that's cool. And you guys learnt that off the people that taught you. That's what you were taught. Okay, that's cool. Well, here's the circuit breaker. <laughs> Let's reset and, and keep going, but going in a different way. Yeah. And we all need a circuit breaker. You know, we get set in our ways. And like you said, the, the previous generation teaches a new generation. And that previous generation, it may have been implanted in the culture before them and it's just something they've known but we do need that circuit breaker to actually stop and look at things differently and how can we do things better doing the same thing over and over is not always the best way so yeah take that time break it and 
you know, see where we can improve and adapt? Mm. It's a great question, I reckon, Katrina. Coming into the organisation, I kept asking people why, 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 why. So I kept getting told it's just the way we do it. So why? Well, we did it like that last year. Why? Oh, we did it the year before that. Why? I don't know. I wasn't here then, but that's just what I was told, right? Put <laughs> these things down, and you get to a point. Sometimes things happen that, to a newbie, mate, didn't make sense. But when I got the answer of the why, it made perfect sense. It was actually sensible, and it made sense but often there was no reason for the why it just was and no one had ever thought to go shivers can we do it a better way (laughs) is there does it a does it need to happen is it contributing anything to the positive experience right now first job is it contributing to that getting in the way of it oh shivers well it's not helping it and in some situations it was getting in the way of it so well do we need to keep doing it no we don't it's okay let's stop doing that Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can't stop doing stuff. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And people are quite liberated when you give them that, you know, when you have that conversation and give them that space to go, you don't need me to make this decision for you. Yeah. yeah you can make this decision. This isn't, this isn't about the CEO having to make it. Like, this is your patch. What do you reckon? Should we keep doing that or not? It would probably be useful if we stopped. And they go, well, here you go. I've got your back. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? And we just take that time to stop and look back and reflect and, you know, step out of the situation. Yeah, it really definitely shows up what we need to sort of reprimand and, and stop but also continue doing or adapt. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and again, it's good fun. Like when you can have those conversations without people feeling embarrassed or threatened or that they've got to cover up something that has only just been discovered was actually bad. It's not, it's just, it's just evolving. That's all it is. And you do it the right way and people, and you can almost have a laugh about it. You know, like, oh, yeah, what am I doing? You're quite right. I like this. Yeah, I like that. That's good. It's a good way of thinking. It doesn't need to be stressful. It's fun. No, no. And you're not there to pick on people and say, oh, you've done something bad. Like, yeah, it's to bring out a better way of thinking that, yes, something may not have worked or it may have not been the ideal way, but we can learn from that and we're not picking on you personally. I've never met anyone in swimming, and in, in sport generally. Every now and then you come across, every now and then you do come across someone who is just a bad person. They do exist, right? People who are improperly motivated and sated do exist. They're in an extreme minority, but you can't ignore the fact that you, you do get the odd bad egg and you've got to deal with it. But in, in my time in swimming, I'm yet to meet anybody who actually doesn't want things to go well and get better. Sometimes they just quite don't quite know how to do that. Or they haven't been given the confidence or the space to go and make it happen. Yeah. But everyone I've met actually, everyone wants the same thing. No one's turning up to try and undermine, right? Everyone's, everyone is turning up to try and put something on the table to help make it better. Yeah. But it's just a question of saying, oh, what do we do? How can we, how can we make sure everyone's contributions are lined up? How can we make sure everyone's contributions are valued? How do we make sure everyone's contributions are done in a way that is complementary to other people's contributions? And how can we do it in a way where people know that those contributions matter and are valued and are appreciated? That's very well said. That's it. <laughs> That's 
That's all. <laughs> That's the sum total of 30 years of work. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't think they could be a, a better sum total than that. <laughs> so out of all this, and I keep saying there's so much information you're giving us, but is there anything specifically, any information or advice you'd like to pass on to new swim teachers as well as coaches? Yeah, absolutely. Be yourself make a difference to the people that you serve and really, really enjoy it. Like what is it that you enjoy and just accelerate that bit. I like that. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's about making it for you as an individual fun and exciting. And what you enjoy, develop that because like I said to Ross last week is, you know, if we can become specialty and in areas, we can develop people so much more and we can contribute more to overall swimming and we can just make better people. And I think that's fantastic. There's so much more, many more people, many more swimmers we can bring into swimming. It, just to be able to offer that is great and to be able to do it in an individual way which emphasizes your skills is an opportunity. You know, it's funny. There was an era there where we were all told to really focus on our weaknesses. Right, you know that little era. You know, yeah. what, what are you crap at? And you know, go and dwell on that to make yourself feel crap. Something else I've learned. I don't know anyone who's ever been promoted or given a job based on their weaknesses. Yeah, true. Right, you get your opportunities and you get your promotions and you get to go forward on the delivery of your strengths. So just get on with that. Except that you've got your weaknesses. If they're really significant, make sure you've got someone else to cover you for them or make sure you don't make them worse. Yeah. But other than that, get on with your strengths. Just go and, go and do that. <laughs> get a very simple but straightforward answer. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, just go to your strengths. Keep going. Yep. <laughs> oh, I love this just general advice. It's brilliant. <laughs> Have you, ever, have you ever employed anyone because they were really good at understanding that their weaknesses? No, I'm the type, I, I will concentrate on my weaknesses and working with Joe and Hayden, who's another mentor, yeah. they've actually said to me, no, you've got to, yes, you've got to understand the weaknesses, work to your strengths and work to developing your weaknesses. And I also, I, I'm a good at... Not pointing weaknesses, but sort of seeing them in others and helping them develop and learn from that. Yeah. You're turning and them into strengths in, 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 a, in a reality. Like It's like Mac Horton talking about the other night. He wasn't great at kicking. Yeah. So he worked hard on kicking and now he's a great kicker. So it's got that, you know, those things are really important. But in terms of your leadership and what you are, you know, the, the, real, the real contribution, it inevitably, you know, your legacy is driven by your strengths. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. That's what people see. And, I mean, that's what you want to bring into the world because what you are strong at and what you can generate and what you're interested in, then if you can educate someone in that, I mean, you're going to have so much enthusiasm and enjoyment. Those people are going to pick up on that. Yeah. And it's going to make them better people. And, you know, like I focus, I've got a girl that works for me over summer and I, I see how she relates to people and how she understands things and I can pinpoint both their strengths 
and her weaknesses and I sort of help her challenge her weaknesses and then develop those strengths to make them better and better and better. Mm. Just make sure you're giving her 80% of her time on her strengths so she's having fun. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so for you, what does swimming look like in the future? Well, I think our challenge is to open the front door to the sport and to build more wayfinding once you're inside. So I drew a house on a whiteboard for Rowan to He said, what do you see of swimming? So I draw this house, right? It's a big house. Swimming is a big house, right? And it's got lots of rooms and it's got lots of levels. But for whatever reason, the sport of swimming has a teeny tiny front door. And once you're inside, we give you plenty of exit signs. We'll point with lots of signs that tell you how to get to the exits. We don't have enough signs that point you to all the different rooms and all the different floors and all the different zones that you can enjoy within this big house of swimming. So I would simply like to help build a bigger front door and some better wayfinding (laughs) for swimming. That's amazing. And that's what we need is to be able to get more people to that front door and show them the benefits of sport. But there's so many facets of it. Being out in the country here and there's a lot of lakes around and there's so many water sports. People go water skiing and they go swimming and they take their horses in the water and they do all sorts of things. But to be able to have that underlying knowledge of swimming and water safety, it doesn't even have to be the competitive side. You can go play water polo. You can do so much to be able to open up and connect those rooms as you put it. I think it's absolutely amazing. Mm. We need that. Yeah, that's it. That's the <laughs> I love how matter of fact you are about all this. <laughs> you know, you've got to decorate it, you've got to do the lighting, the electrics, you've got to carpet it, you've got to, you know, all that's got to be attended to, but fundamentally, you know, we've got to get a bigger front door and a better wayfinding once you're inside. Oh, I just love the fact that it's so simple, but people make such a big deal and make it bigger than what it is. It's actually so simple. Yes, and we've got, as I keep saying, the IP in this sport is unbelievable. We, we don't need some guru from Coles to come and tell us stuff. Yeah. Swimming, swimming actually knows itself really well, and swimming knows where it wants to go. Sometimes it gets a little bit lost on how to get there. <laughs> it's a distracted. Like yeah. a, a young yeah. boy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're an adolescent boy. Yeah. I've got one. I know. Yeah. To, to make that front door bigger and to improve that wayfinding, it's not about bringing in other people to do it. It's giving people within swimming that opportunity and that way of thinking because the answers are already within us as a collective and as a community. We've just got to give ourselves permission and give ourselves confidence to get on with it. Yeah. You don't need to be told by others who actually don't understand it. <laughs> yeah. And that's one thing I wanted to get out of this podcast because I've listened to so many people in swimming tell me what's wrong with swimming and what we need to do to develop it. But they tell me and they might tell another person or they have these fantastic ideas, but it never goes anywhere. 
and to be able to bring those ideas onto this podcast and for people, you know, just the general person in the pool, the swim teacher, the, you know, the general coach of grassroots, they have some fantastic ideas that can impact all of swimming. And to get the opportunity to put that out there and then someone like yourself or anyone involved in swimming can take that idea and then develop it. And I think that's what I wanted to be able to bring was that connection that they can, their ideas are valid, yes. And, you know, how can we use them and develop them to make them worthwhile and put them into, into the system? It was like the question you asked me before we came on to record this. You said, are we ever going to be able to have a summer club membership? Of course. And, and the thing is, of, of course we should. The, the baffling thing has been we haven't had the membership system, the software, the CRM, or this club line on our Swim Central. We haven't had the ability to, to do it in the past. But of course we should do those sorts of things, and we want to, right? It shouldn't be this great big mysterious reveal of brilliance. We've just got to actually create the circumstances that allow us to do it. Yeah. And we will. It's like it's 2020, like far out. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Some of this stuff is kind of a little bit, you know, beyond its due date, shall we say. So we'll get there. But the reasons for them not happening, sometimes I think there's the old about why things don't. And I can tell you from my observation, usually it's not for no other reason than A, can't afford it, yeah. which is legitimate sometimes. You can't do everything. Hmm. Can't afford it or don't have the resources to do it properly. Right? Or B, we actually just don't have the things, the tools we need to make it happen. And in this case, it's not so much the resources, it's just the tool. It's the, it's the membership software. So we, we should be pretty close to being able to do it. So. Is everyone listening from the summer club? It is coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if we don't do this again and it hasn't happened, feel free to give me an absolute berating. All right, I will do. <laughs> I love it. Going back to your visual of the of the house and swimming being the house and opening that front door, but also showing the pathways and how we can get to the different rooms. How can we as swim teachers, swim school owners, grassroots coaches, high performance coaches, and also anyone involved in swimming, lifeguards, aquatic facilities, councils, how can we, in a simple way, start that process? Actually get everyone on the same page to realise that we, have, we do all have the same mission. Sometimes there's all this sense of conflict and friction when in fact it's, it's illusory. Everyone's trying to do the same thing. It's just that people have got different perspectives on it. So the first thing is I... I'm a big believer in a, this physical setting of a pool. All of the ingredients need to be talking to each other and they've got to create good relationships and a shared vision that respects the objectives that each of them holds. The people who run the pool, at some point in there, they need to, there's a financial threshold they need to meet, whether it's local council, which is kind of break even, or it's got to be a for-profit environment. Well, you, you need to understand that. But I, I'm fascinated by the five metre challenge, as I call it. When I first started, my son was doing Learn to Swim over at Maribyrnong. So I'd go along there and they're in the Learn to Swim pool and it's chock block And it's so diverse, you know, the community that was in there was so diverse. Huh? Awesome. So that's what I'm looking at in Learn to Swim. You turn 90 degrees to your right and there's a section of the 25 metre pool or the 25 metre pool that's been kept for club and squad swimming. 
So there's heaps of people here, very diverse. Five metres away, there's six kids doing squad training who are either white or Asian. Right? There's yep. not as much diversity there as there is there, but there's literally five metres between them. And I'm really, really scratching my head still. I, I don't have the answers. I don't have them. You guys have got the answers. How do we, how do we get people to move five metres? Hmm. Yeah, that's how do, we, how do we deal with this five metre challenge? Yeah. Because that's the secret right in the front door right now. Is it that, they, that the learn to swim business and the club need to be the same thing? Does, do they need to be the same operation? Do they just need to work? Better. Every environment has its own reasons, and the re that's why I've said what I've just said. But I think it comes down to the people at the local venue actually talking to each other and saying, what is our collective mission that we want to achieve for this body of water? How do we want this, this asset of water to achieve the best outcome for our community? Yeah. And that best outcome is everything from aquaerobics through to squad training. And everyone needs to understand it and collaborate and work together to contribute to all of those results. I think we're still a little bit in isolation of each other while sharing yes. the same space. Yes. And the fact that swimming can start from six months, even before that, and all the way through to death. It's yeah. to death and we can tap into that market all the way through in some way, shape and form. People, unless they're so scared of the water they don't want to go anywhere near it, and then we need to get our life coaches in to teach them to mm. get rid of their phobias and their, their psychologists and things. But we should, you know, at some stage in that in their life, they can tap into that water and have swimming in some way. Absolutely. And I think everyone within, everyone who uses, who shares that asset, everyone who shares that mansion, right, at that local level. Right? Coming back to what Rowan told me, it's just the same, right? It's just so yeah. there's a little local mansion that sits there. How does everyone who shares that mansion agree to open the front door, improve the wayfinding within it, and actually help make sure the mansion keeps clean, you know, gets renovated, pays its bills? <laughs> what can you guys do to make your local swimming mansion? Yeah. yeah. That's brilliant. Oh, this is exciting. I love it. <laughs> so we, we can't do it. The point is, don't wait for Swimming Australia or Swimming Victoria to do it for you. Yeah. And I think this is part of the bit of taking some response. We'll do our role. We, we just don't have the resources to get out to every swimming pool in the state and impose some sort of operating model that forces everybody to suddenly fall in love and cooperate. That's, that's going to fail. What would be better is if everyone from those local environments had the same idea around this discussed and said, hey, listen, what do you do on Tuesday? Let's sit down over a toasted sandwich and a coffee and talk about our swimming mansion. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be the thing now. We're going to have swimming mansions everywhere. <laughs> oh, with big, wide front doors and lots of signage <laughs> to tell people how to navigate when they're inside and all the different rooms to explore. Cover up, some of flashing the, lights. cover up some of the exit signs. <laughs> yes, that's it, definitely. Yeah. All leading, all corridors lead to a big 50-metre pool out the back. Yeah, yeah, correct. And a lifetime, <laughs> a lifetime of fun in the sport. Yeah. You know, there's no reason that kids that are in learn to swim today can't be 
club volunteers, technical officials, and lap swimmers when they're 85. That's a long. That's a customer for a long time. You get that right. Yeah. Yeah. Customer right there. And that's it. How many membership fees? How many? You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yep. How many swim shops are they keeping open just from all of that? Hmm. Amazing when you think of it, such a, a big picture out there and you don't have to, if you keep looking small, you don't see it. Hmm. You have your, your one room flat compared to your big mansion. Yeah, so what do you want to be part of, you know? Yeah, yeah. All, so we, can, all we can do is help, but we can't actually make, this is the thing, I think sometimes people put too much faith in governing bodies and headquarters and so on. I've never seen any, no one's ever trained in my office. I've never seen anyone swim a lap in the SV office. But we can't be, we're not that, we're important, but we're not vital. Good point, I like that. But what's vital is your local swimming mansion. That's vital. Yeah. And the people who deliver that, they're, you guys are vital. We're just important. You guys are far more. You bring us together. But yeah, we just, well, we, you know, we send information create some opportunities and you know, create opportunities and you know we've got a role to play and it's an important role but your role's critical <laughs> so our job's to help you they have right in your head it their job is to help us and we... it, is. it is if we're not helping you then we're not doing a good job so, yeah yeah I like that so coming off such wise words how can we as an individual or an industry promote and develop learn to swim and the competitive swimming to encourage more participants but do all this with less funding so we're more reliant on ourselves? It's amazing what you can do without money. We've learned that over the last six months. and Even the stuff we've been delivering through webinars been so much more impactful, so much less cost. Yeah. Money is important. There's a threshold below which you just can't do stuff. I get that. But money shouldn't stop us from being successful, or the absence of money shouldn't stop us from being successful to a certain point. The most powerful thing everyone can do is to talk to the people who share their venue and to really, really describe what your collective vision is for that place, what you want to achieve, and how you all contribute to that. Is that the moment everyone is prepared to accept that they don't do it all and that they actually need the person who runs the cafe as well as the coach who delivers the squad training and the person who does the Saturday morning learn the swim shift. Every one of those people needs to be doing their bit well for what you've just described to happen. Yeah. So we actually just need that local energy that local leadership and that local ambition to just flourish. Don't hide it in your own head. Go and say, hey guys, had an idea. Can we sit down over a coffee and a singer and have this chat? And it might not be easy. It might, it might reveal conflict. It might reveal what appear to be irreconcilable business challenges. But as long as you keep talking about them, you'll find a solution. And sometimes we might need to get involved. You know, there might be something that's bubbling away there that is really naughty, that needs a bit of outside help. And that's where we need to play a role and, and help to provide that. But more often than not, people, if once, they, once they kind of get excited by a shared vision and a shared set of values and a, 
and they realise that it actually is releasing the core purpose of the asset. Swimming pools were never built for only one person to make a lot of money out of them. Swimming pools exist to actually create that platform where everyone that uses it can do well and benefit from it. We've just got to go back and have the conversations again and work out how all of the different stakeholders can do it together. Yeah, that's it. I really like that. It is about collaborating and bringing everyone together and it's what we've been saying, playing in your strengths, you know, and get other people to help you. And it's one thing I remember one of the Swimming Vic conferences a couple of years back and when Rowan Taylor was there and he spoke about that connection and bringing everyone together and working with your local industries, getting the local physio in and, and building that connection and that all brings back to getting our swimming mansion. What can we use locally and who can we use? Yeah. It all ties in. So, yeah. And you, and you may find being in a country setting that's so much easier than a metro setting. Oh, this is one of those places where often, you know, country environments start from a stronger base because people get the value of community. People know each other. You know, there's just a there's, there's more of a togetherness. Yeah. But I think that works in swimming. I mean... You know, for myself, I really like the connection, how we can connect with kids. But there's other coaches out there that are great on the technical stuff, which I'm a bit of a weakness at. So I can then connect with them and they can help me with the technical side. Another area that is great about bringing culture into a club, all that sort of stuff is another area that's great with the admin and the customer service. You can connect in that swimming environment with a different club, whether it be, you know, association or anything. Bring things in together. And like you've been saying, you don't have to go outside of swimming. No, no, there's amazing, amazing knowledge and expertise and people in swimming. Yeah. And they're happy a lot of the time to share it for free if it's going to hurt someone. Exactly. Yeah. So go have some fun. (laughs) Go build your message. Just, I've loved it. I'm really enthralled with the sport. I love the role. The people are exceptional. The sport's... As I've said, it's just endlessly fascinating. But the opportunity is immense. I'm not saying that glibly. Swimming occupies a very unique place in Australian sport because it's a big sport. It's the big Olympic, Paralympic sport. And it's unusual because even internationally, you know, we're a big player. You know, the world expects us to do well. And that's such a great thing. So it's a real privilege to be part of it. I've loved it. And I'm, you know, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to meet and work with people like yourself and, you know, everyone. You know, I never, I've not had a boring conversation with anyone in swimming. I love just, you go to a pool and you sit down next to someone and they're very happy to talk to you about their perspective. And it's, the stories are extraordinary. What people have done to support this sport is remarkable. It's a real joy. It is very, very true. It's remarkable what people do to mm. sport and swimming such a, a fantastic opportunity for everyone. Mm. There you go. So thank you. I really enjoyed this. It's been fun. Oh, I was so glad. Thank you. I <laughs> it too. I've got so much out of it. I was really nervous at the start. And, you know, you look at what you're doing. It's remarkable. Keep going. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah keep going. You guys make the sport. As I said, no one's ever trained in my office. People train under you. You know, you create those opportunities. Yeah. So between the two of us, you're, you're, you're the more important one than me, let me tell you. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a, I'm the one that's nervous. You guys have got to be happy with what we're doing. 
the other way around. 